Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. As a health reporter, have you ever seen a health issue become so wrapped up in politics? Yes. I've never seen one with such urgency. I mean, what makes coronavirus so different is that it's so deadly. Eight straight days now of record-breaking coronavirus cases in our country. The worst could even be yet to come, according to UW experts. It is now the third leading cause of death in the United States of America. They're projecting that if we don't hit the brakes hard now, we could have more deaths than the historic 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. Hard to believe. And the only analogy I have is gun violence in this country. There have been more mass shootings in the U.S. than days this year. That's according to data from the Gun Violence Archive. Um, I, I think everybody agrees there are too many gun deaths, uh, too many mass shootings. The data show more than 33,000 total shooting incidents in 2019, resulting in nearly 9,000 gun deaths as of Monday afternoon. But the politicization of gun control. Look at me and tell me guns were the factor and you will work with us to do something about guns. Has reached almost every level of government. Sir, we instead should make sure that dangerous criminals, people that are deranged, cannot buy any gun of any kind. That's what I believe a better answer will be. Uh, you know, to the point where there are political fights about whether we should spend money studying gun violence. Uh, That's probably the closest analogy that I can think of. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Dan Goldberg, I cover healthcare for Politico. Dan Goldberg on how President-elect Joe Biden has big plans to overhaul the nation's coronavirus response. I will spare no effort to turn this pandemic around. Once we're sworn in on January 20th. But with the pandemic now one of the most politicized health issues in the country's history. They are cloth or paper, plain or designer. In this sprawling country, wearing masks has become a political act. Those big plans could hit a big red wall. Among the biggest changes you'll see in a Biden administration is tone. We can get this virus under control, I promise you. We can rebuild our economy back better than it was before. We can address race-based disparities that damage our country. It's in our power. So let's wear a mask. Let's get to work. So, for example, Donald Trump, President Trump, has often mocked people for wearing a mask during the debate. He mocked the size of Joe Biden's mask. I wear masks when needed. When needed, I wear masks. Okay, let me ask. I don't have. I don't wear masks like him. Every time you see him, he's got a mask. He could be speaking. 200 feet away from it, he shows up with the biggest mask I've ever seen. President-elect Biden has said from the beginning that the mask is one of the simplest tools we have to combat the coronavirus and has tried to pitch it to the American public as a patriotic act. It doesn't matter your party, your point of view. We can save tens of thousands of lives if everyone would just wear a mask for the next few months. Not Democrat or Republican lives, American lives. He originally talked of a a national mask mandate. He's since walked that back a little bit and said more that he would urge people to wear it. He would call recalcitrant governors and ask them to institute their own mandate. And if that didn't work, he'd he'd call local mayors uh, and ask them to put in a mandate. But it is a cornerstone of Biden's plan to combat the virus, which is a much more centralized plan than what the Trump administration has 
done for the last six, seven months. The Trump administration has pushed a lot of the effort to the states. First of all, governors are supposed to be doing a lot of this work, and they are doing a lot of this work. The federal government's not supposed to be out there buying vast amounts of items and then shipping it. And told states, you do what you need and we'll, we'll sort of backstop you. What Biden has said is that this isn't working. We need a national contact tracing strategy. We need a national mask strategy. We need a national testing strategy. So that's how he's viewing the problem and what he's looking at. As some of these things have been left to states, some of the state leaders who've been most resistant to strict public health measures like mask mandates have been Republican governors. Um, Biden's saying now he plans to to call some of these state leaders to urge them to have mask mandates. I guess you and some of our colleagues kind of already did that work for him and, <laughs> and called several of these state leaders and tracked what others were saying in public to see what they do, you know, if Biden does call for a national mask mandate. What did you find out in your reporting? The vast majority uh, of governors, Republican governors, said they would not welcome a call from President-elect Biden. Uh, A couple of them have yet to acknowledge that he won the election. Uh, So that's a that's a bad start. You know, there's a couple things going on here. One, some of these governors really don't believe a mask mandate will work. They they say it's unenforceable. They say it's not the role of government. As far as a, a, a mandate, um, I've been very clear that I don't think that's the right thing to do. This is a personal responsibility. This is pleading with people to do the right thing. And no matter how charming the president-elect may be, it's it's very hard for them to philosophically wrap their minds around a government mandate. So at the end of the day, it's not about a a mandate. It's about doing the right thing. That's why uh, we're here letting Oklahomans know we really need their help. And I hope it's not politicized because we're up here. We're talking about it a hundred times. Uh, The second thing that's going on, and and for some governors equally potent, is Trump may have lost the election, but Trumpism, especially in their states, you know, South Dakota, Iowa, uh, is still ascendant. Many of these governors' constituents are very much against any kind of mask mandate that would, if nothing else, legitimize the coronavirus, which uh, they they feel has been uh, hyped up in an effort to hurt the president's election chances. Uh, and so, t- so moving directions because the incoming Democratic president has asked you to, uh, in some of these places, would um, be tantamount to political suicide. Do you think when President Trump inevitably does leave office in January that that could remove somewhat of a barrier, both for some of these Republican state leaders and maybe even American citizens who are hesitant to wear masks? I don't believe that once Biden is in the Oval Office, there will be some kind of fever break when it comes to mask mandates. What I do think is possible is that as we go from November to December and into January, the number of cases and hospitalizations are so sweeping and, and so, so devastating that governors who really don't oppose mass mandates may be forced to change their tune. Our situation has changed and we must change with it. Um, just in between when our story published and when this interview will air, Governor uh, Doug Burgum in North Dakota, who had resisted mass mandates for months saying they were unenforceable and didn't really uh, change people's behavior, finally caved and and issued a mask mandate. These are statewide requirements, not simply recommendations. In all indoor businesses and public settings and outdoor public settings where physical distancing isn't possible. Because his hospital system, his healthcare system, is completely overwhelmed with COVID patients. 
I could see that happening and changing some governors' minds. We saw that a couple of weeks ago in Utah with Governor Gary Herbert. Because scientists and medical experts overwhelmingly recommend masks as an effective way to limit the spread of COVID-19, I am placing the entire state of Utah under a mask mandate until further notice. I, I could see it happening uh, in Tennessee with Governor Bill Lee. Uh, just as the situation gets worse, I do think some governors will grow more desperate and try things that they may, even in their hearts, believe don't necessarily work, but that they feel they are out of options. If that doesn't happen, if we still have a number of governors, a number of local leaders who aren't instituting stricter safety measures, you know, that's a big part of Biden's coronavirus plan. Like, I feel like you can have as much testing, as much tracing as possible. But still, if people aren't following public health rules that help prevent the spread of the virus, you're still going to have a big problem. How does Biden say he might deal with some of this resistance when he takes office? You know, he's been a little bit vague since winning the election about what exactly he would do. I, I think at first he is definitely going to try and sort of talk his way through it. Um, you know, a big part of his campaign and then a big part of his victory speech was the idea that uh, Republicans should give him a chance and he would give them a chance. I'm a proud Democrat. But I will govern as an American president. I'll work as hard for those who didn't vote for me as those who did. And I think that's probably where he's aiming at first. Um, it's also going to be important to see what exactly he inherits and where the country is on January 20th. You know, that's sort of a moving target right now. One of the biggest barriers that he's facing already is that the Trump administration has refused to concede the election, which makes it hard for the Biden transition team to work with the agencies like HHS, obviously the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, one of the uh, huge problems is they don't have access to some of the information that the Trump administration is cobbling together about who's going to get the vaccine first. How many doses can we expect? Uh, where those will go. So there's a lot of just, you know, the, the sort of day-to-day -day work of government that really isn't taking place at 100% because the transition has been up to this point unrecognized by the president. Dan Goldberg, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Also today, former National Security Advisor John Bolton is calling the recent shakeups at the Pentagon, the National Security Agency, and the Department of Homeland Security damaging, not only to the current White House, but also to the Biden administration. Early last week, Trump announced the departure of Defense Secretary Mark Esper, which was followed by resignations of other high-level Pentagon officials and the installation of Trump loyalists in their place. In an interview with ABC over the weekend, Bolton criticized the move, saying, quote, When you decapitate the head of the Secretary of Defense with less than 10 weeks to go in the administration, really, it's very damaging, not just for the current administration, but for the incoming administration as well. And... UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is self-isolating after being in contact with a member of parliament who later developed symptoms and tested positive for coronavirus. 
In a statement on Sunday, a spokesperson for Johnson said he'll continue working from home and that, quote, the prime minister is well and does not have any symptoms of coronavirus. Johnson was already admitted to the hospital with COVID in April and was moved to intensive care 24 hours later, but ended up making a full recovery. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Global Translations, Politico Energy, Women Rule, Pulse Check, and Nerdcast. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.